Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. I want to start off by uh, thanking the worship team for, for leading us in a few moments, uh, and for some of us, maybe the only mo- moments in the past week where we have focused on someone other than ourselves. <laughs> maybe you're not as narcissistic as I am, but, uh, but I know my, my tendencies, my, my daily routines revolve a lot around me, and uh, what a great opportunity for us to, to lay that down and to focus our eyes on Christ, to focus our eyes on God, to say all praise goes to you, right? So thank you to the worship team, and I hope that that moment alone uh, is worth, uh, you didn't pay anything but the price of admission, I don't know, Um, because that's what we're here to do, to remind ourselves who we are, who God is, right? And uh, there's a big difference there. So yeah, my prayer is that that out of worship and into the text that we're going to study today, that, that our focus would be on God, that he would be the main character, and he would be the one that we leave thinking about and in in admiration. Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name is Cam. I'm one of the pastors here at Grant, and we're so glad that you have joined us today. Now, this morning uh, marks a significant shift in our Sunday morning content, and I'm not even talking about the fact that we've moved back to two services with distinct worship styles, etc., uh, just for the record, anybody get here at just before 10.15 and found themselves having to grab a coffee because you didn't get the memo? No? Okay, that's good. Or you can tell me that afterwards. But what I'm referring to about our content shift is the content within our series in the Old Testament book of Genesis. You see, this morning we are in many ways starting a new series of sorts, even though we're just simply flipping the page. We are still in Genesis, and while this whole series, the whole book of Genesis, is about origins, at this point in the text, we move from one origin story to another. You see, Genesis 1 to 11, that we have just finished last week, is the origin story of all people. It addresses how the earth came to be, how humans were created. It unpacks God's good purposes for the world and the invitation for human participation in those purposes. It explains how humans populated the earth, how nations, tribes, and languages came to be, and how a sinful nature controls the hearts of men and tends us towards self-centeredness, accounting for the evil that we see when we look around ourselves. And the scriptures say that everyone can trace their heritage back to Genesis 1 to 11. Well, on the other hand, Genesis 12 onward is the origin story of God's special chosen people. Right? It leaves the, the, the story of the whole world behind and follows one man and his family and how God works in and through them in a special way as they live among the nations. In fact, some commentators split the entire Bible into these two parts, not the Old Testament and New Testament, but rather they split the Bible in two starting at Genesis chapter 12, 
saying that Genesis 1 to 11 is the story of humanity, while the rest of the scriptures, Genesis 12 to the end of Revelation, is the story of God's people, namely the Israelites in the Old Testament and the church in the New. Now, regardless of whether or not we want to make that sharp of a distinction, the reality remains. Things are about to change with our shift into chapter 12 as we zoom in on a covenant relationship between God and one particular nation of God's choosing. Now, this does not mean that we simply forget what we have learned uh, already in this series. For those of you who are taking notes, this isn't the time to change to a new notebook as if Genesis 1 to 11 ought to stand alone or apart from the rest of the text. No, the reason Genesis was written as one cohesive book and the reason we're studying it in this way is because while the focus does change in chapter 12, the story, the narrative of Genesis 1 to 11 continues. A simplistic way to define that this narrative continuity is to say that Genesis 1 to 11 showed us the mess humanity has gotten ourselves into. And starting in Genesis 12, we see what God sets out to do about it. Right? Think about it. If we were to have ended our study in chapter 11, the outlook would be pretty bleak, Right? We would have uh, scattered nations whose propensity is towards independence from God and, as the historical records indicate, animosity towards each other. As C.S. Lewis outlines in his book, Mere Christianity, we live in a good world that has gone wrong. And Genesis 1 to 11 tells us this truth and how we got here. Well, Genesis 12 doesn't change the narrative. It answers the question about how God determines to make things right. In a sense, the first verses in Genesis 12 are the hinge point of the entire Bible. Because at, Genesis, at, at, at chapter 11, we're left asking, will God abandon the human experiment? Right? Will he leave us alone and try round two on another planet while we fight our way to extinction? Right? Will he wipe us out by way of another global catastrophe? What will God do about the sin problem that just keeps on rearing its head in the world and in human hearts? Well, Genesis 12 gives us the answer to that question. So I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Genesis chapter 12, where we will start by reading just the first three verses. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we encounter it today, uh, our hearts would be open to what you want to say, and we would leave different than how we came as a result of what you say. Amen. Okay, so what does our text tell us? Well, it tells us that God has not given up on the human race. 
Right? He has a plan and he has a mechanism through whom his plan will unfold. And that mechanism is the family of a man named Abram. Now you might be right if you were reading this for the first time to ask the question, who is Abram? Right? Especially coming out of chapters 10 and 11 that we studied last week where we read dozens and dozens of names. Or at least we read the first letters of those names. Now, we're not actually going to spend that much time specifically studying Abram today. Next week, we're going to dig in and unpack his history and context so we can better understand the text moving forward. But I decided to pass that character study off until next week so we can focus today on the hand of God in these verses and not distract ourselves by focusing on the one through whom God works. Using the same illustration as a number of weeks ago when it came to Noah, I don't want us to focus so much on the instrument that we miss the great musician and the song that he is playing. And so while we will introduce ourselves to Abram more deeply next week, all we're going to say about him today in regards to God's selection of him, to the question, why did God choose this guy? Is it the only answer is the grace and sovereignty of God. The grace and sovereignty of God. We'll get, more, get into it a little bit more next week, but, but simply, there is nothing in Abram that demanded God's attention. Old Testament scholar Bruce Watke writes, God's particular election of Abram can only be explained by God's sovereignty and divine wisdom. Abram does not even prove to be a faithful covenant partner. He goes on to say, there were other religious people named at the time. Certainly Melchizedek in Genesis 14, probably Job and a certain Daniel that we read about in Ezekiel. And so, like we read in regards to Noah a few weeks back in Genesis 6, 8, Abram was chosen simply because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And church, it's important for us to know that God will choose who he chooses and God will use who he uses. The only thing that's up to us is if we will obey him when he calls our names. More on that next week, but let's move to the text now to explore the interaction that we read between God and this graciously chosen Abram. And our text starts off pointing out that God in his sovereignty spoke to Abram. Verse one, the Lord had said to Abram. Now we don't have all of the details of this encounter. If this was a Moses in the burning bush situation, if this was expected or unexpected, exciting or startling, but we do know that God initiated the conversation. Okay, let me say that again. God initiated the, the conversation and it's essential for us to understand that if we're to understand the text we have before us today. You see, there's an intentional contrast presented here between God doing something and man doing something. And the contrast flows out of what we read last week in chapter 11. 
For those of you who were here, uh, or if you weren't, we're going to read it again. Listen to verse 2 to 4 of our discussion of the Tower of Babel last week. This is what we read. It says, as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Okay, that's what we read last week. Now, let's compare this with what we read in our text today. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country Your people in your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What do you notice that's different between these texts? The who. right? The the subject is what changes. Let's look at the language of these texts side by side. In chapter 11, we read, they said to each other. In chapter 12, we see the Lord said to Abram. In chapter 11, we read, they found a plain land and settled there. Chapter 12, God leads Abram to the land I will show you. Chapter 11, we will make a name for ourselves. Chapter 12, I will bless you and I will make your name great. Do you see this contrast here? The Babylonian plans were self-initiated, self-enacted, and self-centered without any consideration or help from God. Well, what we read here are the plans of God, initiated by him, enacted through him, and ultimately for his glory. The the difference between the plans in chapter 11 and 12 is who is bringing them about. Now, just uh, so we don't miss the significance of this and perhaps to wake us all up a little bit, I'm going to read verse 1 to 3 again, and I want us all with our Bibles in front of us or our eyes on the screen to shout out the words, I will every time it appears in the text, okay? So I'm going to read through, and when we get to I will, we're all going to say it together. Is that, yeah, good? We up for this? (laughs) All right. Okay, let's start at 12.1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And if we cheat a little bit and go down to verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham or to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. It's a lot of I wills in there, isn't it? Just in case... We would be tempted to miss this upon initial reading. Our text today makes it very clear. In three simple verses, we read the words, I will, six times, with a seventh coming in verse 7 in the next paragraph in the text. So church, if there is only one thing that a careful reader gets out of this text, 
It's that it is God who will accomplish his purposes. Right? Which is why we're deferring our study of Abraham to, or Abram till next week. Right? We need to know that, that the plan is all on God's shoulders. And in many ways, it's almost inconsequential who God uses. Notice that for the seven things God says he will do, there is simply one requirement of Abram. Just go along with it. Right? You, Abram, just follow me and I'll do the rest. God didn't say, I will bless you if you're perfect or close to it. God didn't say, you will become a great nation if you conquer the other nations. God didn't say, your name will be remembered if you govern well. God didn't say, you will have a people if you can only overcome that infertility thing. No, none of this is on Abram's shoulders. Abram is simply an instrument, instrument that God will play to bring about his purposes. God says, if you simply come with me, I will do the rest. And that is the nature of God's promise. That is the nature of God's calling. You see how different that is from the Babylonian plans from last week? Let us, they say, let us build a city, bake a billion bricks, build a tower all the way up to heaven, make a name for ourselves, ensure our own comfort, ensure our own security. It's all up to them. It's all on their shoulders. This comparison brings to mind the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, when he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right? In contrast, with the perpetual struggle for self-preservation in Babylon, God comes to Abram with an easy yoke to bear, saying, if you trust me, I've got this. Church, that's the nature of following God's plan. Not that it is always easy, in fact, quite the opposite, but when we follow God, we can let go of control as we trust him to bring about his purposes. Church, we are not the main character in the story. As Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 encourages us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding or your own work or your own will or your own plans. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And while we're comparing things, how did the Babylonian plans turn out, by the way? in complete and utter disaster. And the only name they made for themselves resulted from their folly. May we, church, be people who follow the plans set by the Lord that we may watch the Lord work and bring those plans about. Okay, so we've seen that God will bring about his purposes, that he will do as he said. But... What is it that he said? Right? What is it that he said to Abram? What are the, these promises that he invites Abram into? Well, these promises of God outlined here in Genesis 12 and repeated again in Genesis 15 have been referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? The Abrahamic covenant. 
Now, if you've been following with us through the summer, you'll remember what a covenant is from a few weeks ago when God made a covenant with Noah, promising never to flood the earth again. And when we looked at that text, we defined covenant as the terms and conditions of a partnership that God establishes with his special people. Okay, can I say that again? This is what a covenant is. The terms and conditions of a partnership that God establishes with his special people. And with a covenant comes the assurance or promise of how God will act within a partnership that he establishes. And so here in our text today, through this covenant, God is proposing a partnership with Adam. That's what's going on here. And in it, he stipulates what he will do within this partnership. What we see here are three elements of the covenant, three things that God promises in terms of his actions towards Abram if he will follow God's calling. And those things are a land, a people, and a name. A land, a people, and a name. God says to Abram, if you simply follow me, if you go where I will show you, I will uphold my end of the bargain by giving you a land, a people, and a name. So let's unpack those things. First of all, God says that he will give Abram land. Verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country your people in your father's household to the land I will show you. There is a territory which God will gift to Abram as his own. Right, so the first element of this covenant is that if Abram goes with God, God will give Abram and his descendants a place, a fertile land where they can flourish. And throughout the next number of chapters, you'll notice as we read, whenever Abram travels through that region, God reminds him that the land he is standing on or the land he sees in a distance will be given to him and his offspring. And we read the most detailed description of the boundaries of that land promised to Abram and his descendants in Numbers chapter 34. And so here's a map based on that text that outlines the territory known to the Israelites as the promised land based on this covenant of God. If you've ever wondered why it was called the promised land, it's because God promises this land through this covenant in Genesis 12. And so here's a map behind me. It's easier to read than the first service. I went and flexed my Photoshop muscles between services with the help of Italo. But what we're looking at here is this green area are the, is essentially the boundaries that are outlined in the Old Testament as the promised land that God had promised to Abram. And so it's, it's north to, into uh, what would be modern-day Syria all the way into uh, kind of the northernmost, uh, we- northwesternmost uh, tip of Egypt to the south. And so that green area is what we read as what has been gifted to Uh, to God's people through this covenant. Now, the purple part there is an additional area of land that the Israelites also occupied when they took hold of this entire uh, place roughly 400 years later, right? So the green area is the promise, and the purple extends the amount of land that they actually occupied within 400 years. Now, if you've ever wondered 
why this land is so important to the Jewish people, even to this day, the, this promise is it. Right? The, the land promise is a significant part of God's covenant with Abram. Israel lays claim to this land as their own, not because of a treaty or some international land allocation, but because they believe that God himself gave it to them through this covenant. And that's why they're in a perpetual state of of fighting to keep it, and they're not that thrilled to share it as they are currently. Now, there's much more to say about that politically, historically, biblically, and uh, unfortunately, that will need to wait for another day. But in the meantime, we can't miss the importance of land when it comes to this covenant between God and Abram. Now, the second thing that God promises Abram here is a people. Verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. So not only will Abram's descendants have a place, a land, but they will become a nation of their own. Think about that for a second. What would it take for you to go from being a family to being a nation? Right? To go from your two or three or four kids to having a flag, an anthem, and an elected government. Right? That's a big promise we're reading about here, isn't it? And it's, it's this promise out of the three that seems to be the most ludicrous when you think about Abram's situation. As we'll see when we dig in deeper next week, Abram was 75 years old when he received this promise. To top it off, he was childless and married to a barren woman. I imagine the question on his mind was how he could have a family at all, how he could have any descendants, let alone enough to amount to a nation, which invites us briefly into the headspace of Abram a bit here, right? Sure, the only requirement for him was to go, to follow God, but before he moved an inch, he actually needed to believe this seemingly impossible promise that the land God would give him would one day house an Abrahamic nation. And spoiler alert, uh, just as we know that the land promise would be fulfilled as the Israelites took possession of the promised land within 400 years, we know too that God made good on this promise as well. Listen to the description of the Israelite people in 1 Chronicles 21. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. Right? And that doesn't include the women and children or maybe some of us men who don't know how to handle a sword. Right? So, so Abram's people would be numbered in the millions in roughly 700 years and would continue to grow even to this day. Thirdly, besides a land and a nation, God promises Abram a name. Or more succinctly, God tells Abram that he will be remembered. Verse 2, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Do you remember last week 
what was one of the most, one of the main motivations of the Babylonian tower builders? They feared being forgotten, right? They wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, who among us doesn't want to be remembered for something? Who among us doesn't want to be missed when our time on earth is done? Who among us doesn't want to be talked about long after we're done talking? Right? We all want our lives to make a difference beyond simply ourselves. And that is what God promises Abram. He says, you will be remembered. You will have a positive, lasting impact on the world well after you have left. People will remember you. And friends, this message today here at Grant Memorial Church this morning is proof that God fulfilled his promise. Right? Here we are remembering Abram over 4,000 years after his death and roughly 10,000 kilometers away from where he lived. Who else has that kind of legacy? And beyond that, did you know that roughly one half of the world's population to this day traces their lineage back to Abram? That's over 4 billion people living today who could sing, Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them. Right? When we look historically at this covenant, it's certain that God fulfilled all his promises to Abram. Not because of who Abram is, but because of who God is, blessing him with a place, a people, and a lasting name. But friends, that's not even the best part of this deal. You see, there's a reason why God chose a people for himself. There's a reason why God blessed them, why God walked with them, why God uh, preserved them through history. And we find that reason at the end of verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, there are some who say that this is an individual aspect of the covenant, that this is the fourth promise to Abram, right? That the promises are land, nation, people, and blessing. But, but I read this as the why behind the what of the whole thing, right? This isn't an add-on or simply one of the covenant elements. This is the purpose of the covenant in the first place. It's the reason God chooses a people, the reason God blesses Abraham, the reason God creates a nation with land to flourish and a lasting legacy in the world. Of this, T. Desmond Alexander says, says, the climax of the speech from God to Abram in Genesis 12 comes in the statement that all the families of the earth may be blessed through you. The primary motive behind the call of Abraham is God's desire to bring blessing rather than cursing on the nations of the earth. The promise is that Abraham will become a great nation, implying both numerous offspring and land, but it must be understood as being subservient to God's principal desire to bless all the families of the earth. Right, the answer to this question that we had at the beginning, what will God do in response to the consistent sin cycle on the earth, is that he will bring a blessing and salvation to all nations through the family of Abram. Right, this covenant isn't about the blessing of one family. 
It's about the blessing of every family through one family. Church, God's heart is for every nation scattered all over the face of the earth. God hasn't forgotten anyone. When he scattered the nations, as we read last week, his gaze did not depart from any of them. No, he set out almost immediately to bring them back to himself. That there might be, in the end, as Revelation 7 says, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the way he would do it, the way that he would draw all nations back to himself would be through the seed of Abram, which is Jesus Christ. Now, you may be wondering how we got there, right? How did Cam bring Jesus into this? I didn't see his name in that text. Well, listen to how the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 connects the dots. He says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the nations, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Did you catch that? Paul calls this covenant in Genesis 12 the gospel. And then he continues. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. These promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, get this part. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now that's a long passage. But did you see what Paul wrote? What God announced to Abram was the gospel. That many nations would be redeemed by Abram's seed who is Jesus Christ, and as a result, all who belong to him are heirs of the promises of God that we read this morning. Well, with this understanding in mind, James Montgomery Boyce concludes about the Abrahamic covenant. He says, the blessing promised to Abram is not some general blessing that might pertain to physical needs or even spiritual needs not yet identified. Sorry, spiritual needs yet undefined. It is a specific blessing that deals with the problem we all face as creatures of a holy God. We have rebelled against God, and this has brought us under his curse. Called by Paul the curse of the law. We are under judgment. We are not in a right relationship to God. 
Moreover, sin has tightened its tentacles around us so that we are unable to escape from its grasp even if we want to. What we need is a redeemer, one who can deliver us from the wrath of God and free us from sin's bondage. This is the content of the blessing given to Abram. It is what Jesus accomplished. It is what Jesus accomplished. The greatest gift given to Abram is the greatest gift given to any of us. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Redemption of sins and an eternal hope. Listen to this, church. If you haven't picked up on it already, at the core of the promise to Abram is that he, Abram, would be saved by one who would come through him. Isn't that amazing? Built into God's promise to Abram is the mechanism through which he would be saved by his own seed. And further, that anyone who would believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above any other name, even the God-given great name of Abram, would themselves be saved too. Church, this covenant that we read in Genesis 12 is a gospel covenant. This is God's promise to save the world. He has not given up, and as he makes a habit of doing, he will accomplish his purposes. So what does that mean for us today? Well, first of all, if you have not come to put your faith in Christ, friends, there is good news God's plan to draw all people to himself that they may live out their purpose and calling in him is well underway. God is working to restore what is broken in this world and in our hearts to bring evil and enmity to an end and replace it with eternal life. And he's opened the door through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, salvation is available for you. If you want to discuss this further or find out more about what it looks like to follow Jesus in faith, please come to the front at the end of the service or reach out to the church. We would love to talk and pray with you. But secondly, for those of us who do know Christ, for those who, as Paul wrote, are Abram's seed through Christ, we have become covenant bearers. Right? We've become covenant bearers, which means that we are to participate in the blessing of all nations. Church, we do not exist for ourselves. God has not drawn us to himself that we should hoard the blessing of our salvation. No, he has tasked us with bringing the blessing of salvation through Christ to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And if this thought is new for you, it's time to think about it. As individuals and families, to ask yourself, maybe around the lunch table today, how are we participating in blessing the nations? What role am I playing in the spreading of the good news to everyone? Because the greatest promise of all for those who trace their spiritual lineage back to Abram is that many might be saved through us. If you have money, are you spending it on self or on the kingdom? 
If you have time, are you spending it on comfort or on the kingdom? If you have talents, are you burying them or are you using for the kingdom? If you have Christ, are you hoarding the good news or are you participating in the great commission that was first given to Abraham but reiterated by Christ in Matthew 28? Therefore, go. Does that sound familiar to Genesis 12? Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. As we leave today, church, let's all ask that question, what am I or what can I do to participate in bringing the blessing of salvation through Christ to the whole world? Now before we wrap up, I want to briefly point out that Abram would not see all of these covenant promises unfold in his lifetime. When Abram died, spoiler alert, his people didn't didn't occupy much of the land. They weren't an official nation. Abram himself wasn't all that well known and the world was still without a savior. And similarly for us, Sometimes it feels like like nothing is happening, right? Sometimes it feels like God's plan isn't living up to expectations or, or the work of bringing Christ to the world is slow or it's not taking root. Well, as we will see in the weeks ahead, Abram kept following even when it was difficult. Through the unknowns, through the question marks and friends, God kept working, And praise be to God that he did, that the mission moved forward because that is how salvation came to each and every one of us. And so in the same way, church, while we won't always see fruit, we must always remain faithful to the calling to be a blessing to the nations by introducing them to the person of Jesus Christ. But as we do this, We can be encouraged. We can know that just as it was with Abram, it's not on our shoulders. We are simply invited to obey as God does the work. Remember, church, it's God who blesses the world through his son. Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Remember, church, it is God who gives us all a lasting name as his children. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Remember, church, it is God who has made us into a people. 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And remember, church, it is God who has gone before us to prepare our eternal home, the eternal land for those who receive the blessing of the promise. 2 Peter 3.13, in keeping with his promise, We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What a promise. What 
a blessing. What a God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that the things that you have nudged us uh, as we walk through it with, that, that those things wouldn't stop nudging us. That as we leave here, we would continue to be poked and prodded by your word, by your promise, by your encouragement to us. God, we thank you for a conversation that happened many years ago with somebody who we do not know. Because, Lord, through that and your faithfulness uh, to follow, the truth has come to us. But, God, I pray that you would help us to know that we are covenant bearers. Lord, that, that, you, that we are a part of your plan to bring the gospel to all nations. Lord, help us not to shirk our responsibility. Help us not to miss that. And help us to go, be covenant bearers to every corner of the earth. Amen. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch. <laughs>